Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and thanks for tuning in to the Veterans Path Podcast. This podcast is just a piece of what we do. Veterans Path is actually a nonprofit working to introduce veterans and active service members to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of Veterans Path, increase attendance at our retreats so we're able to help more veterans, and finally, to reduce the stigma around mindfulness and meditation and seeking mental health support. Listeners and viewers, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a review or a like and share the show with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from our message. Also, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Today, I'm honored to have as my guest retired NFL player John McGraw. Before getting into the NFL, John attended Kansas State University, majoring in business finance, and walked onto the football team. He was twice selected as a first-team academic All-American. He was a second-round draft pick to the New York Jets, where he played three seasons, and then played two seasons for the Detroit Lions before finally joining the Kansas City Chiefs for his final five seasons. John retired from the NFL in 2012 and received the Ed Block Courage Award. This award is presented annually to one player from each NFL team who, in the eyes of his own teammates, is a source of inspiration and courage. John also completed NFL-sponsored business management and entrepreneurship programs at Harvard Business School and Wharton Business School. John has been actively involved as the president of the John McGraw Foundation, which supports various charitable causes. He is now a principal partner at Vision Pursue a performance mindset training and technology company whose mission is to dramatically improve the way people experience life by improving their mindset with mental training, mindfulness, meditation, and their app. Over the 10-week performance mindset course, corporate teams learn critical mental skills being taught in professional sports to enhance focus, resiliency, life experience, and performance. We're going to learn a lot more about John, his time in the NFL, the John McGraw Foundation, and his performance mindset company, Vision Pursue. And that's all here in today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is retired professional football player turned performance mindset coach, John McGraw. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, John. Great to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. First, Thanks for spelling your name correctly, J-O-N. Uh, I've run into <laughs> too many J-O-H-Ns recently, and uh, it's refreshing to see somebody else who spells their first name J-O-N uh, like I do. Um, how are things going for you in this, uh, in this whole coronavirus thing, man? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm sort of in, in the boat with every, everyone else where we're 
uh, doing the best we can. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate in that there's relatively little disruption for, uh, for day-to-day life. I work from home a lot and, and do a lot of virtual training uh, already. So, so my, uh, my in-person uh, travel has, has obviously gone down like everyone else's, sure. uh, but, but uh, relatively little disruption. So very feel very thankful for that. I know there's a, a large part of the country that's been very negatively impacted by this. And so our, uh, our thoughts and hearts and prayers go out to, to all of them. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I mean, um, even even if you haven't necessarily like lost employment, you know, a lot of us are working from home and stress levels have skyrocketed with that. Um, There's stress on relationships because of that. And, you know, what we're going to talk about tonight being mindfulness and meditation, obviously a piece of that uh, is part of the discussion and how that can help with stress and anxiety. And, and uh, I think that's a, a part that we really need to get out to the masses right now is that that's a tool that people can use in these times. So right. my, my, my standard initial question to you, John, is uh, I'll, I'll plug the intro in that you sent me later, but you know what the intro was. Outside of that sure. intro, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Like something about your, your childhood or you know, your family makeup, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think a couple of things that that defined uh, my mindset growing up and, and evolution of that one was just having a really tremendous family upbringing and, and strong family support system growing up and, and also um, being rooted in, in uh, some of the, the Christian tradition uh, that really helped me to weather some of the, the challenges and adversity that I've, I've um, had early, early on in life. Uh, on top of that uh, was a uh, uh, Suzuki violinist, so learned to play violin by ear. Started wow. playing when I was five years old, and uh, and learned a lot from that that experience. Learned the the power of repetition. Nice. Uh, and yeah, really helped me in sports later on as I was honing my my craft and uh, getting uh, skilled in, in a particular area of of uh, the world of football. So uh, so yeah, violinist. And uh, let's see what what else. Do you still play? I do occasionally. Yeah. 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 Nice. I, I play more guitar now than uh, than violin. Picked up guitar in high school and then started playing that a lot more. Very uh, cool. Yeah, but uh, have a, have an electric violin that I love to break out every once in a while and have some fun with. Oh, maybe maybe at the end of the show you'll break yeah, it out. Yeah, <laughs> happy to. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, uh, yeah. My three year old uh, just turned three year old. Uh, she has a little violin, but she doesn't. You know, she doesn't hold it up here and play it. She holds it in her lap and I like runs, it. Uh, runs the bow across and um what's the uh what's the wax that you put on the bow rosin yeah the ro- yeah rosin yeah. yeah uh she she's always calling it something else i forget the word that she's using but she always asks for the the rosin in some kind of crazy baby language <laughs> anyhow so maybe who knows down the road she'll be a, an expert player so yeah yeah so uh going kind of into your bio and what i've found out about you online and everything else um Born and raised in Kansas, is that right? So not born, but raised for the most part. Yeah, okay. moved moved to Kansas when I was about four years old, and uh, and yeah, spent the rest of my time here in the state of Kansas. And then for college ball, you walked on to Kansas State. Correct. Um, yeah. So, did you have the opportunity to play somewhere else uh, under a scholarship? What, what was the? Was it just you know the yeah. fact that you were raised in Kansas that drove you to go there? That, that was a big part of it. So it's interesting that the, one of the only other, actually the only other division one offer I had was to the Air Force Academy. And I was this close to going to the really? Air Force Academy. Yeah, we were 
you know, we could have had a little more, a little more rival, rival discussion. <laughs> That's heated, right. Heated competitive discussion. But uh, so almost, yeah, I went out and played football for, for Coach Fisher DeBerry out in Air Force Academy. But ultimately, uh, my heart was really uh, there close to Manhattan, where I grew up, Manhattan, Kansas, where Kansas State University is located. And as I was growing up there, Coach Bill Snyder was orchestrating what many would argue is the greatest turnaround in college football history with that, that college football team. So I was kind of caught up into that. My, fa- my grandfather played football at Kansas State uh, a long time ago. Both my parents went to Kansas State. So I just, my, my heart was there and ultimately decided that uh, I was most passionate about, about that and was, was really fortunate that Coach Snyder gave me the opportunity to, to walk on uh, in that program and enter into his, his walk-on, walk-on program, which was a really great developmental program that I, I needed because I, I still had a lot of work to do to catch up with, with everyone else at the Division One level. Well, it sounds like you did more than catch up. I mean, from from what I understand, you you did really well, and then and then went second round in the draft to the Jets. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Nice. And then uh, from the Jets, uh, I'm going to screw this up. You went to Detroit and then Kansas City. Is that That's right? That's it. Yeah, you got it. Yep. Yeah. So three years with the Jets, two with the Lions, and then my last five seasons with the Chiefs back uh, close to back, home. Back home, City. huh? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So uh, I'm guessing that was your favorite time to play for Kansas City or favorite team? uh, Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and that it was close to home. No, and that we weren't winning a lot of of games, (laughs) fortunately. And now now look where they are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was about a decade too soon. (laughs) I was born too soon. (laughs) I guess so. Uh, But still a really cool opportunity to get to come back and finish up my career close to home. Nice. And then across the three teams, uh, are there different cultures, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the teams and, and what drives that culture? Yeah, yeah. I got to see a lot of different leadership styles in my, my time in the NFL, a lot of different head coaches, a lot of different coordinators. In fact, I was thinking my, my 10 years in the league, I think I had eight different defensive schemes that wow. I learned in those eight years. And uh, and so got to see a lot, learn a lot of different football schemes, but also got to see a lot of different leadership uh, styles and got to see what what connected well with me what didn't uh, what got the best out of me what didn't and, and that wasn't always the same for my teammates and okay. it was really interesting uh, seeing uh, just those, those different philosophies and approaches to to leadership uh, and learned a lot from that experience right so in your in your LinkedIn profile uh, sticking with the football theme you, you sure. mentioned working your dream job that was stressful and unfulfilling uh, means to an end. And that yeah. all that stress and anxiety was a good motivator, but that it came at an ultimate cost to you, your performance and your enjoyment. Can you speak to exactly what you're referring to here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so growing up, like a lot of probably young, young boys, uh, the dream to be a professional athlete was at the, at the top. In fact, I'll, I'll never forget when I found out I can't remember who told me, maybe it was an aunt or uncle, or I found out that someone, people will actually pay you money to play sports for a living. <laughs> I, I didn't believe them. I, I was like, there's no way that's a thing. Right. <laughs> and, and then I did some fact checking. It turns out they'll pay you a lot of money if you're good at it. <laughs> and so, so at a really young age, like I was, I, I knew exactly what I was going to do when I, when I grew up. Uh, the problem was everyone else had the same brilliant idea. <laughs> <laughs> right creating a very competitive, competitive environment. But I, but I always had that dream and held on to that dream, even, you know, in not getting recruited heavily out of high school and walking on at Kansas State. That was, I always believed that, that that was possible for me. So, um, yeah, like that, that was just a, yeah, a, a big part of my, my growing up was believing that that was, that was possible. 
And, and I think it, it wasn't that I knew it was going to happen. I didn't do like, you know, a lot of visualization around it. I just uh, believe that if I, I, I did the very best that I could and worked as hard as I could, that I would give myself a chance to, um, to maybe realize that someday and uh, feel really, really fortunate that I got to experience that. The problem was, is that uh, as I, I got more and more competitive and, and become a starter at division, division one level at Kansas State and then make it to the NFL. And just the, the further you get into that, uh, the, for me at least, uh, the more miserable I became. And a lot of it was not so much of the environment that I was in, although the environment in Division I athletics and professional sports is challenging, very challenging. Uh, it was, what I realized, particularly towards the end of my NFL career, was that it was much more the way that my mind had been programmed to experience life. And if you had taken me out of the NFL and put me in any other career path, you know, financial services or insurance or even school teacher, I would have had a very similar life experience because I would have been using that program to, to experience the world around me. And that's one of the things we've seen in, in the work that we do. And I'm sure we'll get to that here in a little bit. But when we first got into it, we were thinking, hey, we're going to be working with professional athletes and hedge fund executives and really high performance world. And, and we found that we're working with, with everyone. We're working with school teachers and, and nice. engineers and, and stay-at-home moms. And, and everyone seems to be having a very similar life experience. So that was one of the things that was really unique and also reassuring for me was that I wasn't alone, right? And uh, that I'm, I wasn't the only one that was living their quote unquote dream, but not really having a great experience doing that. And I'm sure we can go, go a number of different paths to unpack that. But yeah, that was, that was my experience. And I was, I was really surprised by that. Uh, at the same time, I didn't, I, I realized I, did, I lacked the skills to overcome that, that life experience. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you, you talk about, you know, the, that program uh, and then on your, on, again, on your LinkedIn, you, you go on to say that only toward the end of your career in the NFL did you shift focus and it was then that you started enjoying football again. How did you yeah. actually shift from that program that you were just talking about and what changes did you see in yourself? Yeah, so, so my, my environment, my eighth year in the NFL, my environment forced me to, to let go of certain things uh, and a lot of my my career was spent trying to control things that couldn't be controlled and spending a lot of time and attention on those things that couldn't be controlled. For example, uh, get going into training camp and trying to stay healthy, right? And also trying to make an opening day roster when your contract kicked in, right? So even if you're under contract, your contracts aren't guaranteed in the NFL. If you don't make the opening day roster in the season, then your contract's null and void. So there's a lot of pressure sure. to make that, that opening day roster. And there's a lot of uh, you know, younger and cheaper guys that are trying to take your spot and you know, teams are constantly trying to, to replace you with, with younger and cheaper talent. Uh, and so, so there's just a, a, an enormous amount of, amount of pressure. And I didn't realize uh, I was uh, really completely unaware of how much time I was wasting and energy I was wasting and really self-sabotaging in a lot of ways uh, because I hadn't trained my attention. And uh, in some ways, I had, had developed a strong psyche and that I, I knew how to work hard and I was determined and I was coachable and teachable and a good teammate. And I knew how to do those things, um, but I really didn't know how to, to train my attention. And, uh, and it was wasting a lot of uh, precious uh, energy. Sure. Yeah. So, so, so uh, towards the end of my career, my environment forced me to let go of a lot of things that I was holding on to, I didn't realize. And it just completely freed me up. In the last few years of my career, even though I was struggling a little bit with, with injury, uh, as I, my body was physically was deteriorating a little bit, I still had some of the most productive years of my career towards the end, 
because I stumbled onto this. Now I still could, I didn't master it. I didn't really understand what was happening, but I got to experience these, these bursts of passion and joy in the game that I hadn't felt in a long time and playing at a much higher level uh, than I had um, for most of my career because of this, this internal paradigm shift. Nice. So it wasn't somebody, somebody came to you and introduced you to something. It was something right. that you just discovered by virtue of what it is you were experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. The environment oh, pretty forced powerful. me into it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then like, was there a, like a line that kind of delineated when you were before that line and you were enjoying, you were not enjoying football, you weren't performing to your peak, that line you crossed and now suddenly you're experiencing enjoyment in the game and you're performing better or was it a gradual change? So it was, it was in that training camp that I, I got to experience that. Now okay. it was, it wasn't a permanent shift, right? Because once I had that experience, I really didn't understand what had happened. Uh, and, and so I was, it was easy for me to fall back into my old way of thinking. And, and so I couldn't quite sustain it. So I was kind of back and forth over that line of going back to my old stressful, you know, sure. trying to control things that I couldn't control. And then, Oh, wow, I'm kind of free and I can go play free and not worry about making mistakes and just uh, let my, my, uh, trust my skills to, to do the work that I trained them to do. So, uh, so it wasn't a, a, a black or white, um, you know, before and after, but okay. I got to experience that. And then it wasn't until towards until after I retired, uh, then I had that, that moment where I understood what had happened. I understood the skill that was necessary to make that shift and, uh, to have that more of a delineated line between before and after. So how much you may have said this and I may have missed it. That's this okay. was a training camp, uh, when at, at Kansas city, this is what we had with the chiefs. This would have been okay. in 2009. This was my eighth year in the NFL. Okay. So you played yeah. for another two years after this yeah. shift. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Um, and then once you left the NFL, you took this shift and you kind of refined it and then decided, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, turn it into a company. How did that actually, you know what, uh, before I get into that, I, I want to know the, yeah. the transition piece because in the military, there's a big transition as you get out of the military or prepare to go out of the military, you kind of hang up that uniform, you hang up that identity uh, for lack of a better term. Did you experience anything like that where you felt almost as though when you were done with the NFL that you were kind of losing a part of your identity? So I, I really didn't. I, I was really ready to be done when I, uh, when I left the game and the little bit that I was holding on to was just, it just didn't compare to the pieces that I was just so ready to be done with. Okay. And, and what I, what I, you know, missed and, and missed the, some of the relationships and the camaraderie. And, and I remember missing that, that first season that I was out, but what way overshadowed that was just this relief. Yeah. <laughs> like I just don't have to feel this pressure and this stress uh, anymore, even though the last few years were much better than the first seven years. I was still experiencing a lot of that and just felt a, an enormous relief when I was, when I was done. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that leads into the question that I was going to ask is kind of how you ended up standing up your company, taking what you had kind of identified as a shift in mindset, deciding that is what you were going to build your company around vision pursue. Um, how did that actually come to be? What were the mechanics involved in leaving the NFL and starting up vision pursue? Yes. So I, I knew I was going to take some time off after I retired, which I did. Uh, and I, I retired. The, the primary reason I retired was because of concussions. Uh, so I played safety, a lot of big collisions, a lot of concussions, sure. uh, you know, nine or 10 documented where I was either unconscious or I couldn't function. But then I had countless other ones where I was messed up, but I could still function. Yeah. 
and uh, it turns out those are the ones that are most dangerous because you could get concussed on top of the, you know, when you've already been concussed. And so, and so, uh, you know, I, I uh, retire because of that. And so I'm studying as much neuroscience as I can, as I, I as I retire, just because I'm trying to figure out ways to prolong my own brain health. Right. Yeah. And good. Very, very selfishly motivated. Hey, are there things that I can, that can reverse the, the, the traumatic impact of, of all these collisions. So as I'm studying neuroscience, which was fascinating at that time, about a decade ago, what we were learning about the brain and what we thought we knew about the brain for decades, we were realizing, okay, wow, it's not even true, that there's so much more to this that's going on. And so the neuroscience was really fascinating as I began to understand PTSD and understand CTE and traumatic brain injury. And then the neuroscience introduced me to health psychology. And so health psychology is more of this relationship between the mind and the brain and the body. And I was just fascinated how intimately connected our psychology and our neurology is right? and and how our, our neurology and they can affect each other and how Absolutely. one thought can can release just this cascade of chemicals in, in, in the brain and body and which which I, I was uh, kind of programmed to be very aware of you know growing up in the Christian tradition of, of um, being more aware of, of thoughts and, and emotions and so, so that was very very enlightening to me and then health psychology introduced me to performance psychology and became more and more aware of just these really simple mental skills that can make a really big difference in how we show up and perform and create this really ideal internal mental and emotional state for peak performance. So that fascinated me. And then I get this place where I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I spent 10 years in one of the high, most competitive fields in the world and no one once mentioned any of this, all right? Like, they, like it, not only was there not a system or a process or training around the mental part of the game, no one even, mentioned it. No one talked about it. I'm just wow. thinking, how, how is this possible? Right. Uh, and so, so as I'm, I'm studying these different disciplines, I just begin to use myself as a Guinea pig and practice different things. Uh, and from, from different mindfulness and, and meditation practices and different contemplative practices and different visualization techniques. And, and it was just, it was transformational. I mean, it was, it was, that was the before and after like life was before this and then life was, you know, I've experienced life after very differently. Sure. And, and, and real quick to give credit where credit is due. I never in a million years thought this would be a business. I, I met my business partner uh, and Russ Roush, and he was the one that he had already created vision pursued. Now it was, a, it was more of a mentorship type program, but he was recognized. He came from the corporate space, hedge fund space. And he, he just saw there was this huge vacuum for mindset training uh, in, in virtually every aspect, but in, in for sure in the corporate world. And he was just said, Hey, this is, there's a need for this. And, like this business model will work. And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> There's no way people will pay for this. <laughs> right? Like we need to, we need to go ahead and, and, you know, go the nonprofit route right now. Cause we're going to be asking people for money. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, it turned out that there, that there was a market for it and it's been quite a, a journey and, and uh, you know, not an easy one by any stretch, but uh, we, in a lot of ways we timed time things up well and been able to find a, a market for, for the service. Nice. And so, yeah, Vision Pursue, the mission statement is to dramatically improve the way people experience life by improving their mindset with mental training, mindfulness, meditation, and your app. How did you guys decide exactly what you were going to bring into Vision Pursue, what you were going to leave out? Um, has that changed over time? Uh, and, and then what? how is it received when you talk about mindfulness and meditation to corporate teams yeah yes so the the 
program as it is today has definitely been a, an evolution uh, from the, the beginning. And uh, it's really funny to look back at what we were, where we were at five years ago and uh, what we were, we were putting out there. And in a lot of ways it was very consistent, but the, the packaging and the deliveries is very different today. Sure. Uh, and so, so the, uh, the, the content was, was very much based on our own personal experiences uh, with what works and then being very fortunate early on to get to partner with some really high performing corporate teams, high performing sports teams uh, that allowed us to make mistakes and allowed us to come in and say, Hey, we've got something here, right. But we were not quite sure what it looks like and what, how, how you, how you roll this out for, uh, for organizations. And so uh, we were able to vet that out with some, some really high performing teams and, and adapt it to, to be more and more impactful. So it's, it's a constant evolution uh, and, and a lot of that, uh, I give credit to my, my business partners, Russ Roush and Matt Andrusis and Dr. Ian Canole, and, uh, who just have been really, really amazing in, in um, putting this, this all together. So, uh, so the content's been, been an evolution. The principles are all the same, but then how we, we go out and train those is constantly evolving. So there was a second part to that question. I, I can't remember. Yeah, nice. nor can I. I okay, I, all right, no worries. This is all uh, mostly organic, so. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned um, working with corporate teams uh, that kind of allowed you to experiment. Um, one thing with starting up a business, entrepreneurs are always talking about fail fast, fail forward. Um, what, did you have any personal failures in starting up the business? And and if so, how did you overcome that that feeling of failure in being an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, our very first client, uh, <laughs> we'll just say they didn't ask us back. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We did an intro session and it was kind of contingent. The contract was contingent on them wanting to do more after the intro <laughs> session and we never got the call. <laughs> so so oh, yeah, that's good. yeah, a lot of, a lot, a lot of failure. Uh, but at the same time, we, we knew we were onto something just because we had a personal experience with it, right? We, we knew that this, this worked. It was just a matter of how do you package it in a way. And so, and that reminds me of the second part of your question, which is mindfulness meditation. Like, is there ah, resistance to this? Good man. <laughs> in, in the world. And I would say uh, there, was, there was pockets of resistance five, six years ago when we were first just putting this out there. And there were certain markets that we could go into where it was more uh, accepted. Uh, and there were certain markets where we couldn't, where there was some resistance. And now it's just, we, we get no resistance. Uh, and and thank, thankfully, there's been so much research and, and uh, uh, um, what's the word? Just so much. The evidence. physiology. Yeah. 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 To, that, that we, we just know this works. We know we, this is not, a, there's not a placebo effect, even though a placebo is a very real thing and, sure. and, and, and is good. You know, we know from brain scans uh, and we know from just Dr. Reggie Davidson and Dr. John Kabat-Zinn and, and Dr. Amusin yeah. John. So yeah. all these really amazing people that have yeah, done, done the research to say, okay, this is science, right? There's, there, this is no longer maybe some theoretical thing that maybe works for this person, maybe it doesn't work for this, but it works for everyone that does the practices. Sure, yeah, and, and Dr. Jaw is doing amazing thing with, with military right now yes. and, and General Walter Pyatt uh, and, and the uh, mindfulness-based awareness training. They're doing incredible work and hopefully yes. over time that'll grow to where every service member gets it because it doesn't just help you to deal with stress and anxiety, but it also makes you a, a better warrior. And when I say better warrior, I don't necessarily mean a better weapon, you know, going out there and, and just yeah. shooting everything, but you're actually going to be able to assess the situation on the ground and decide whether or not you should act a certain way or an act another way. And perhaps you don't shoot in a situation where you shouldn't shoot 
where you may have shot before. I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. hopefully, hopefully it made sense. Yeah. Um, yeah so um, talk about personal failures there. What about some success stories uh, from Vision Pursue? Who, who have been some of your major success stories or teams, organizations, people, teachers you mentioned? What are, what are those? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great question. So I, I always just go to, to personal testimonies that, that we get to, to hear that I think are most, most impactful. And uh, you know, one that comes to mind is uh, an executive that uh, works for, for a large company and, uh, and he shared a testimony how uh, before Vision Pursue, uh, the worst part of his day was going home and he had three children, has three children, uh, and his oldest son has a severe mental handicap. And he gets home and his wife is just exhausted. She's done. So she kind of like, here's the kids. And so he starts his second job. Right. And, right. Uh, and in the worst part of his day was, was feeding his oldest son mm. because it was messy and it was uncomfortable. It was even embarrassing for him that his oldest son who should be able to feed himself couldn't. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was the worst part of his, his day. And he said, after going through the 10 week training program, uh, in the middle of that, at some point, the high, it, it switched to becoming the highlight of his day uh, where he, he looked forward to it and he stopped resisting the experience and he began to embrace his emotions about it and he began to slow down the pace. And it wasn't just about getting through dinner. Dinner was the event. Dinner was yeah. the experience. Uh, and he brought a lot of those, those mindfulness skills into that experience. And, and he talks about how his, son, his son's energy shifted. And, and feeding him got easier and easier and then became this really enjoyable. And then it became this amazing bonding nice. experience that they got to have every night at dinner. And it became the point of part of his day that he looked forward to the most. Right. And it's, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a great example of how the, it's the exact same situation that just a few weeks before was a really horrible experience. And now it's completely different. And, that, and that's the beauty of mental skills training is that we get to take back control over how we experience a moment. Right. How we experience right. a relationship where right? for most people, they don't have that. Most people, it's just whatever their automatic program serves up for them. That's how they're going to experience a moment. And they think that they're choosing that and they're really not right. Their automatic right. brains choosing it for them and the it's saying, Hey, that's it. It's saying, Hey, this is, this is not fair. And this is not just, and this shouldn't be happening this way. And this should be happening. This is good. And then it's creating all these judgments and expectations and preventing us from really experiencing life to the fullest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you mentioned the the ten week program there. What does that ten week program actually look like? Yeah, so so normally we take teams through it, so corporate teams, sports teams, and it's about eight hours of training over those ten weeks that we'll do either in person or online, and we spread it out over those those ten weeks. And each week is a level of training, and they commit to daily work on the mobile apps. So the mobile app delivers daily practices, so it's about ten to fifteen minutes a day on the app, uh, and every day they do three practices. And there's well, first practice is a message of the day and there'll be a quote of the day that ties in with that. And then there's a, some type of contemplative meditative mindfulness practice that they'll do. It could be a breathing technique. We have a lot of different ones that we offer in the library of meditations. Uh, and then there's an activity of the day. So some way to practice the skill that they're learning that week. And then each week the skills stack. Uh, and so they get opportunities to continue to practice the previous skills, but then we begin to stack them on top of each other. And, What's really important we found is that the, 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 this, this process, the system is really important. So for example, we don't introduce mindfulness until week six. Oh, wow. And what we found is that most people haven't developed the skills 
to really execute and really grasp the depth of what a mindful moment looks like and what this skill of mindfulness is. Because there's, there's these other kind of foundational skills that are necessary before I can really execute on that. And so, so we're really introducing, baby stepping them uh, to where uh, by the time they get to, to week six, mindfulness is more of just a natural byproduct. They're not having to really practice to, to force it, right? It's just beginning to happen more organically yeah. because they develop the skills that make a mindful moment possible and create the best environment for a mindful moment to take place. Nice. Yeah. That, that app, is that available to anyone or do you have to sign up through Vision Pursue or how does that work? That's a great question. So as, as of right now, it's available to the public. Uh, we, uh, and it's, it's in, in the app store and it's $10 a month and anyone can go down, download it. Uh, it won't be in the market, in the marketplace for very much longer. Uh, we're okay. going to take it, take it off the marketplace and make it a part of the training. And, and the reason is we designed it really to be, to support the training. Yeah. Not to be and, standalone. Yeah, exactly. And we've had a lot of people download it and had great experiences with it at the same time. Uh, you know, then you have a lot of people that download it and they just, they're not quite ready to, to really take advantage of the tool. Okay. Uh, and so at some point, uh, will it, it needs a, a, some, you know, some more development to really be a standalone app and, and, and uh, do some of the, the, work, the great work that other standalone apps are doing, like Insight Timer and, and Headspace and Calm, and that are really, right. really great. And ours, ours wasn't designed to be that standalone. So at the point we, we're ready to do that, we'll release it and market it. We, we, it's been on the marketplace for a couple of years. We just haven't told anyone about it. <laughs> we really didn't want them downloading it. <laughs> All right, I'll delete this part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that, that, that being said, like there, it's, there's some real, still really, it's, it's a really good app. It's a good app experience, but it helps if you've had some training leading into it to get the most out of it. Okay, so if, if somebody has a little bit of understanding of mindfulness uh, and meditation, then they could potentially download the app right now. Is it called Vision Pursue? Yeah, it's called Vision Pursue. Yeah, they okay. can go, feel free to go to the app store and, and hopefully you, you beat us to, to taking it off. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be making a phone call right after this interview. Exactly, take yeah. it down. Take it down. <laughs> I, I don't know when it's coming up. That's the intent. Uh, that's good. Right now. That's good. Yeah. What about you? Uh, what is your personal practice? Do you have a personal practice of mindfulness and meditation? And, and if so, what does that look like? Yeah, I do. And I, I use it uh, uh, so, sort of when I need it. And so, so it's not super consistent, although I would say there's, there's practices that I do on a daily basis uh, when, when I know that I, I need them, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so some, I just have some, some favorite mindfulness practices, some favorite meditations that, I, that I'll do. And it just sort of depends on what I feel like I need that day, right? So if I need to rev up a little bit and I need a little more energy and I need a little more motivation, then there's certain uh, videos I'll watch or certain meditations I'll do, or if I need to, to slow down and calm down, uh, I'll, I'll do that. And, and, you know, I really just love being still, right. And, and not being busy and yeah. allowing, allowing my mind to just be quiet. And, uh, and so it's, it's funny when people, you know, when people talk about mindfulness, I think it's helpful to, to break mindfulness into a couple of different categories. Because uh, there, because there's there's definitely sort of attention training, right? Which yeah. is in some ways ways mindfulness. Uh, but I'll tell you, for for me, mindfulness is not mindfulness does not take my productivity up. Mindfulness takes my productivity down. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Now I, I enjoy it. Like I love it. <laughs> like I'm having a really great experience. Uh, but I think there's there's a couple of different types of attention. 
Uh, and I think sometimes they get a little get a little confusing, but I, I think there's a, a sensory focused attention, right? Which is much more of a mindfulness based attention where I'm just kind of using my senses to pay attention to this moment. Right. Uh, and, and then there's a task focused attention, right? Where I'm really locked into a, a project and, and trying to execute on something. And, I, and for me, those are very different types of attention. Uh, and, uh, and so, and, and, and I think there's also more of this, there's an analytical intention, right? Where I'm using my, my prefrontal cortex to really pay attention. But then I think there's more of a holistic attention, right? Where I'm paying attention with my heart and, and my nice. gut and I'm bringing more of this, uh, a whole person approach to it. Uh, and so, so I, I you know, I, I, I like kind of bouncing around on those based on what I feel like the, the moment needs. Uh, and so I do think that it, with certain attention training, you do get a productivity bust, uh, burst and, and boost. Mm -hmm. And, but then some, some mindfulness, I think is not designed to be productive at all. <laughs> and it's designed to the lower production. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think, yeah, there's, there's definitely times when, uh, in this day and age, uh, and I mean, I, I even do it, uh, where I talk to corporate teams about how mindfulness will increase productivity because that's what, you know, a lot of the C-suite is concerned about. But then right. when I'm actually talking to the people that I'm teaching, this is on the side, not with Veterans Path, but um, when I talk to the corporate teams that I'm teaching, I do talk about, you know, the, the fact that their health and wellness is going to improve, the fact that their happiness yes. at work is going to improve, the fact that the communication, uh, their, their focus on the moment will improve. And whether productivity goes up or not, uh, that, you know, that, that might be a nice byproduct. That sometimes, well, sometimes it's not, but they're going to be happier and healthier at work, which ultimately. That's right. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. the important part. So yeah, it kind of depends on how we define productivity there, but yeah, yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah. I yeah. mean, if absenteeism goes down because they're happier and healthier, then maybe that's productivity increase. So exactly. over time, exactly. um, another thing I was reading on your site, uh, is an interview that you did with Kim, uh, Kim Gibbons, uh, of, of cruise dreams. And you mentioned oh, yeah. uh, how travel can actually help attain a level of mindfulness. Um, can you explain in your own words how travel can actually get people to be more mindful? Yeah, well, I think that's why, why a lot of people really enjoy vacation. Uh, and and uh, those who do enjoy travel, they enjoy it because it evokes a mindful experience. And, and most people sort of operate in that place where their environment dictates what's mindful and what's not. Uh, and for, for a lot of people, vacation evokes that right because they're they're in a new place they're in a place where they want to be uh, and what that does is it begins just to quiet the expectations and the judgment about their external world which is a, a prerequisite for a mindful moment yep. as you know uh, and on top of that you know there's there's new people and new new things to engage the senses right so it so it pulls them into a sensory experience and a sensory meditation if you will and so so it gives that that experience. And then, and then what happens then is they have this really enjoyable moment and they confuse the travel for the source, right? So then they think in their mind, well, I got to go on vacation so I can feel that again, yeah. right? <laughs> which, which you and I both know that's not necessary. Uh, and when you learn the, the skill, you can bring, you can have that experience really in, anywhere that you're at, you know, within, within a certain amount of reason. But, but travel for a lot of people is an entree into a mindfulness meditation, a mindfulness experience as their environment evokes that for them. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's actually an angle I've never thought about explaining to people. And that's, I think that's an important thing. I, I'm going to start using that if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, start sharing yeah. that with folks. You bet. Yeah. Um, so um, we haven't talked about your family. Do you have, uh, I forgot to ask at the beginning, or what's your yeah. family look like? Yeah. So, so divorced, two children uh, and a girlfriend. So that's okay. my, 
family uh, and a dog and two cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty full family. Yeah. Now, do, uh, do they practice any of these uh, techniques themselves or have you introduced it to them? That's, that's a great question. Uh, I would say I have introduced it to them. I would say they're, they're not regular practitioners, <laughs> although they, they would probably say they, they absorb a lot of it from me. <laughs> Osmosis. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, hope they, I hope they do. You know, it, it's a, families are really challenging a place to, uh, to teach these certain, yeah. certain things, right? And I, it's funny, yeah. I always advise a lot of our, our corporate and sports team clients when you know, they go through the first training and they're just like kind of minds blown. And they're like, wow, my spouse needs this so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be, I'll, I'll tell them like, do, don't ever, ever, ever say that. Like <laughs> when you present this to them, don't tell them they need this or your kids, right? You got to be really careful how you present yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, for me, it's, you know, I know that they, they value it and they, they appreciate it and they, they see the impact that it's had on me. Um, I wouldn't say that they're at a place where they're, um, you know, hundred percent adopters of, of all of my, you know, shenanigans and all my, <laughs> my different practices, but they're, they're definitely supportive of me and the things that I'm passionate about. Nice, man. Yeah. Um, also in the intro, I, I mentioned the John McGraw Foundation. Can you tell, uh, tell the listeners about that? Me and the listeners, I, I want to know about it. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, it, when I, my first year in the NFL, I was advised, thankfully, uh, to create a donor-advised um, fund. And so, so donor advised funds just kind of sit under these larger nonprofit umbrellas and you can create them online very easily in five minutes. And, uh, and so uh, my rookie year in the NFL, we created a donor advised fund and we were able to, to give a lot of our, uh, our charitable giving into that and then decide how that was going to get distributed. Uh, but then it gives you the opportunity to, for other people to donate to it as well. And so um, developed that early on and used it to support just a variety of charitable causes. And it was just kind of nice knowing that we had something sitting there that when the need was there that we could, we could um, disperse it to, to where the need was. So, so nice. there's no real specific mission with it other than it's available to um, needs when we, when, when we see the needs uh, come up. And then uh, we also vision pursue, we have vision pursue charities and we create a, a donor advised fund for that as well. Wow. Uh, where we, uh, some corporate clients will want to make donations into it and, um, and we can uh, do the same thing, uh, distribute it to, to people in need. Very cool. Well, awesome, man. Um, as we get closer to kind of the end of the show, what, what have we not discussed that you want to make sure our listeners hear in today's episode? Yeah, that's a really great question. I, you know, I think the, the core message uh, that, that we try to communicate at, at Vision Pursue is that, uh, that the, the life that we all want and the, and the life that we're working so hard for uh, is available to us all right now. Uh, and it's it's really easy to think that I need to create the perfect situation, the perfect environment, right? I need to have the perfect job and the perfect spouse and the perfect kids and all these things, all these conditions need to be met in order for me to have the life that I've always dreamed of. And assuming basic survival needs are met and assuming that uh, you're not in an abusive you know, situation, assuming that all those are uh, in, in relatively healthy place, the life we've always dreamed of is available to us right now. And that's, that's the message I, I love to share with people and you don't have to go searching for it. You don't have to earn it. Right. And there's nothing wrong with achievement and accomplishment and, and enjoying that, but that's not going to make you happy. Uh, and I can give you a story after story. Mine included uh, people who've achieved everything they ever set out to achieve and more, and they're absolutely miserable. 
Uh, and so the, the solution is not external, it's internal. And mindfulness and meditation, the work that you all are doing, are ways to uncover that and ways to begin to, to experience moments uh, in a much more intentional and purposeful way. And then we don't have to wait until we get to the end of our life and, and look back, you know, we can begin to have those, those moments now. And I, you know, I look back at my NFL career and I missed the majority of it. Yeah. And yeah. the reason I was just going so fast, I was going so hard and I was trying to get to the next thing and constantly living for the future. Uh, and I, I missed out on a lot of the experiences and, and it negatively impacted my, my performance in my relationships. And, sure. And, and that wasn't, that didn't have to, it didn't have to be that, that way. And so um, I think that's, that's the message I, I want to share with people. And if you haven't practiced mindfulness or meditation or just mental skills training in general, uh, uh, give it, give it a shot. And um, yeah, I, I promise you it'll be worth the, worth the time and energy. Oh yeah, definitely. And I, I can attest to that myself because I was a skeptic at first until yeah. somebody sat me down and introduced me to the science behind it all. And then I, then I started practicing and, and I started to see the, the effects that it has. And it's, it's huge. And it's not just the effects that it has on, on who you are, but it's, it's, uh, the effects that it has on how you experience every moment throughout your life. Like you touched on there a second ago, you were in the NFL for 10 years, but you missed most of it because you were constantly right. striving for that next goal, that next, you know, next level, constantly looking towards the future, right? Not, not experiencing the moment. And I, I think I was the same way. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 24 years in the Navy and it looks, feels like the blink of an eye. And when people ask me to tell them about my Navy career, it's like, uh, I just yeah. started my Navy career. <laughs> or right. It feels like that anyway, right. uh, sometimes. So, well, well, awesome, man. Um, if people wanted to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach out to you or find out about Vision Pursue? What's the best way for that? Yeah, th thank you. Visionpursue.com uh, is, is a great place to learn more about the work that we're doing. You can contact us, contact me through the, through the website. Uh, and, and we do mostly corporate and, and sports team trainings, but we also work with a, a lot of other uh, industries as well and uh, mentioned schools and uh, so uh, yeah uh, we've enjoyed uh, enjoyed being on on here with you and thanks for the the plug yeah absolutely and I'll make sure all that is included in the uh, in the show notes both on the uh, the audio version and on YouTube when uh, when I publish this so John thanks so much for coming on the show man it's been a pleasure uh, getting to know you a little bit better getting to know your story and and I really appreciate you sharing everything here so thank you very much yeah enjoyed it thank you all right brother for our listeners and viewers, thank you again for listening to or watching our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. If you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button here on the podcast or here on YouTube. Leave us a comment, a review, a like, and again, share it with anyone you feel needs to hear our message. And remember, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives 